Welcome. You are listening to the Better Together podcast with Callie and Rosario Picardo. We take on topics involving marriage, ministry, parenting, communication, relationships, and other subjects that our listeners want to hear more about. I depend on a navigational system to get where I need to go. Back in my day, and now I sound old, you had to print off directions. How many of you remember that with MapQuest? And then you had the GPS, which was like a separate unit you would have in your car. And now many cars are having the built-in navigational system. And then you have apps on your phone. So it's kind of hard to get lost. But still, I admit that I find a way of getting lost from time to time. Because when I'm on the road, I get distracted. I start daydreaming. I start thinking about all these different things. And before you know it, when the navigational system tells me to go right, I either keep going straight or I take a left. <laughs> and there are times I can get redirected, which doesn't you know, cost me a lot of time, but there are those instances when I'm going to a place that I've never been before, I fall behind maybe 15 or even 20 minutes and sometimes even longer, which is humbling, but also pretty hilarious. And I suspect that I'm not the only one that's experienced that before. And if you're brave enough, I'm sure you would admit that as well. There are times we feel lost, isn't there? We feel lost in life, don't we? directionless, or we've gone on our own direction, we've ignored what God is saying, I want you to go this way or that way, and we remember tonight that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way, and it's not too late for you, no matter what course your life has taken, no matter the wrong direction that you've gone on, God has a way of redirecting our lives. That is the God we serve and worship. Now, 2,000 years ago, I I have a surprise for you. It's a shocker. They had no GPS. They had no smartphones. They had no Apple products. But it's interesting because the navigational system that the wise men used was a star in the sky. It sounds weird. It sounds complicated, but they knew that if they kept following the star, they would get to their destination. They themselves didn't really know what they were going to encounter. There was nothing like it before, and there hasn't been anything like it since. But full of faith and determination, no matter the obstacles, no matter the challenges, they looked at that star and said, we're going after it. And that's exactly what they did. And they witnessed one of the greatest events in all of human history, which is why we are gathered here tonight. We come from a lot of different directions, don't we? I hope you didn't get lost coming here tonight. I hope your GPS didn't throw you off track. But you're here. You're in the right place. And so I want to encourage you to focus in these next just few minutes. You can get on your phone all week long. But just for the next few minutes, I want you to just focus 
on what the Lord may have for you tonight. I'm so glad you're here. This Christmas Eve traveler service, isn't it funny that it's a traveler service because we just talked about the Magi who traveled, the shepherds who were in place, all to encounter the Messiah, the baby born in a manger. I mean, that's why we're here tonight. And so I want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Oz. Whether you're here every week or this is your first time, we hope that you have felt God's love and embrace. And none of us are worthy of it, but somehow, some way, God wants to pour out His love for you and for me inside us that we would not feel empty, we would not feel lost, but we would be full of God's love and God's Spirit. We've been in this series at the church over the past few weeks, and tonight is the culmination of it. It's called a full circle Christmas. And we've looked at the Old Testament prophetic words. We call these the messianic prophecies that were told about Jesus hundreds of years before his birth. And tonight we're looking at the Old Testament prophet Micah. And so you can follow along on the screen with me, or if you have your smartphones, which I'm sure you do, you can take those out and you can follow along as well. It's Micah chapter 5, starting at verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, let's try to say that ten times, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Remember, this is 800 years before Jesus is born. And the prophet Micah is sharing this. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land, and he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength. So if he's leading a flock, that means he's the shepherd, right? In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world. Isn't that amazing, that prophetic word that was given 800 years before Jesus was born, and we know that in Micah's time, there was a lot of political unrest and social unrest as well. You had Israel that was once a united kingdom that split. There was a power struggle. And so now you had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You had Judah and you had Israel, these two kingdoms. They had two leaders. And then you had their capital cities of Samaria and Jerusalem. And there was a power struggle. These larger empires want to come in and take over. And so what do the people do? They begin to panic. They're wondering, how are we going to defeat our enemies? How are we going to protect ourselves? There's always been wars and rumors of wars all throughout history. So what we see today is not unusual. It's happened over and over and over again. As long as human beings are around, we find a way to disagree where things escalate. And that was the scene back then. But Micah has a prophetic word. Some of us need a word from the Lord tonight. Yeah. 
Micah had this prophetic word in saying, I want to encourage you not to put your trust in political leaders, not to put your trust in the economy, not to put your trust in armies and in the weapons of mass destruction, but put your hope, your faith, and your love in this divine leader that will come. But unlike any leader, a shepherd that will be born of a virgin and that is called to lead the people. We aren't surprised that in the New Testament we see that Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd that protects the sheep, that follows the sheep. And he even wept over Jerusalem when he looked and he said, look at my people. They are like sheep without a shepherd. They're wandering aimlessly. And the good news is when we invite Jesus Christ into our lives, we don't have to wander any longer. We don't have to be aimless. We get direction. We get focus because Jesus is the way. So this full circle began in the Old Testament and it's completed in the birth of Jesus Christ. Now what's interesting is In Matthew's gospel, in the New Testament, that's the first gospel, we see that Matthew is then interpreting the words of Micah and is talking about the fulfillment in Matthew chapter 2. Let's take a look. It says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Now Herod was wicked, and he just wants to know so he can kill Jesus. Anybody that is going to be a threat to the political status quo, a threat to his position. And so it says he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Well, we know that's not true. So after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. What a great navigational system. When they saw the star, they were saddened. No, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Which, by the way, some of that was used for burial. Isn't it interesting that they're bringing it in his birth? That's another sermon for another day. But in having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the full circle, the completeness right here. What was said in the Old Testament about Jesus, the prophetic words that were shared, is now fulfilled in the New Testament. Several hundred years had passed, and the people still held on for that hope, but they wondered, hey, is this going to happen? Is is this real? I mean, I want to give up. And some of us, we want to give up because we've been through a setback, but little do we know that God is preparing us for a setup for the miraculous. God is preparing us for a setup for the miraculous. The Magi were 
wise men from the east. They didn't believe in the God of Israel. They were probably, for all intensive purposes, pagans. They were spiritual, but not religious. Much like some of the folks in our country today. Isn't it amazing that God unveils the miracle of the world to people who don't even believe in the same God that they do? And almost better than that is the shepherds who were present were the lowly of society. They were the third shift workers. Some of you know what it means to work third shift. You don't expect to see much activity or life around you, but there they were that night. And they too would have the front row seat of a miracle. And we know that Jesus was not just a baby who stayed in a manger, which was a feeding trough where animals slobbered and laid. And we could look at the hallmark picture and say, that's a cute little Jesus. <laughs> but this Jesus grew in human stature and wisdom, we are told. He learned the Hebrew scriptures and had them memorized was in the synagogue teaching at the age of 12 years old. He grew, he developed, he became fully God and fully man, which blows us away, isn't it? It's, it's amazing. We call that the incarnation. He lived a full circle life, all the way from his birth to his death, to his resurrection, to his ascension, and then the second advent of his return. That is full circle. And the one thing that I believe God has for us is living a full circle life as well. Jesus calls it the abundant life. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly. Other translations say life and life to the fullest. See, we've lived a halfway filled life on our own, or an empty life, what if I told you that Jesus has reserved for you the abundant life? Amen. The abundant life. And some of the things that we could do to return that to God is also examining what can we offer Jesus as a present to Him tonight. He doesn't need the latest gadget. He doesn't need the latest Air Jordans. He doesn't need uh, the latest Apple product or a house or a car. He desires our hearts. That's it. He desires our hearts. And some of us think, man, I can't really make that full commitment to God because I don't believe fully. What if I told you that's all right? When I read in the scriptures, it says, you just need a mustard seed of faith. And that watch that mustard seed grow. Watch the miracles that can unfold. Even with a mustard seed of faith, you can move mountains. That is the fullness of life that Jesus has for us. And we see this lived out in Him, and this is how we can return it back to Him. The first thing is to embody humility and servitude. Embodied humility and servitude. I, I love this because Jesus came in Mark 10 45 says not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He wasn't born with a sword in his hand. He didn't incorporate weapons of mass destruction. 
He didn't seek out to destroy his enemies or any types of threats, but instead he carried a towel and a basin ready to wash the feet of his disciples. You want to be a leader? Serve. We need few people trying to live for the green room and get your butt to clean in the restroom. We have too many leaders that wanting the access to the green room to get on stage, but instead they need to be clean in the restroom. You want to be used by God? Humble yourself. Everybody wants to share how great they are. But until we lower ourselves and take the position of a servant of God, unless we do that very thing, God can't use us. And he embodied servanthood throughout his ministry, throughout his life. He didn't assert his authority, even though he had it. He didn't come to say, I'm the Son of God and you all have to bow down right now and do all of these things. I mean, he didn't do that, but instead he lowered himself and he embodied this servitude. And it takes humility. One of the greatest gifts that we can give is humbling ourselves before God and taking the posture of a servant. And when we do, we bring delight to the Lord. And as we read in Matthew 25, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Never mind who deserves it and who doesn't deserve it. We, we want to pick and choose. Well, this person deserves it. This person doesn't deserve it. But the last time I checked, Jesus gives us the commands to love one another as he has loved us. The second thing that we can, the way we can live this full circle Christmas is recognizing the divine and the ordinary. Do you know that there are miracles that happen every single day? And I believe some of you may have experienced a miracle or two in your life. The greatest miracle that we can see is a changed and transformed life. It's not necessarily a physical healing, although that is awesome and we're like, yes, do it, God. But the greatest miracle that we will ever see is lives that have been transformed. Have you experienced that in your life before? And the good news is that God doesn't just transform us once, but He continues to walk with us. He continues to mold us. He continues to shape us. It's not living like we did before. We weren't the same person yesterday. And guess what? Today, we're going to be even different than tomorrow. And vice versa. Because God is a God who shapes us. Jesus recognized the divine and the miraculous every day. He didn't just spend time with the masses, but he would find time to minister to the one. He took time to be with the one. That distinguished Jesus from many of the leaders his day and religious leaders because he took that time. And he would often withdraw from the crowds to spend time with his heavenly father. Because he had this type of intimacy. How did Jesus recognize the, or, the divine in the ordinary? He slowed down. You want to have a quote-unquote New Year's resolution next year? 
those that are on the fast pace, on the fast track, those that are moving all the time, slow down. Once you slow down, you start to recognize the miracles around you. At times, we get so busy working for God that we don't spend time with God. And if we don't spend time with God, we're not going to have the spiritual eyes to be able to see the miraculous. It takes slowing down. God giving us the spiritual eyes and the spiritual ears. It takes that time. That's what Jesus had. That's what it means to live a full circle life. Be able to see the divine in the ordinary. Every single person has been made in the image of God. Everyone is a miracle. The people you love, the people you like, the people you even despise and hate, your enemies, God has created them too. Recognize the divine and the ordinary. And finally, the way we can live this full circle life is by practicing radical love and barrier-breaking acceptance. This is what Jesus did. I mean, he shares the story of the prodigal People say the prodigal son, but it's actually the prodigal father. When you think about it, that word prodigal means wasteful. That God would be so generous that he would pour out love on you and me even when we don't deserve it. We call that grace. The amazing grace. The unmerited favor of God. In another story, he gives um, this... Pro- this um, uh, parable thank you (laughs) this parable i'm getting old this parable and it's the parable of the workers it doesn't make any sense It, it, it can anger some of us can it we see it play out in our society too by the way but the ones who've been working all day you've been working all day you've had your sleeves rolled up and then here comes sean pulling up there's, there, there's an hour left on the clock. He gets hired on. And he's going to get the same amount that all of us got. Wow. That's not fair. Man, you mean your student loans are going to be paid off? And, and mine aren't. I paid mine the old-fashioned way? Oh, now, now I'm meddling. I'll leave, I'll leave that where it is. It makes us uncomfortable because God's love is so outrageous. And there's nothing that you can do to turn away from God's love. Even in your darkest of days, even in all of your mistakes, even in the ways that you have purposely went the other direction, God's love pursues us. It chases us. It even goes in the depths of hell to rescue us. That's God's love for you and me. He's a prodigal God. And he broke barriers in his life and continues to do so now. You would think if you're going to start a movement, you would get some of the people with the best strengths the most talented, the CEO types, the ones that can run companies. I mean, the people that have all the talents and all the abilities, those that have the charisma that make the room light up, you would get those people surely to be on your team. But not Jesus. He gets fishermen. 
tax collectors who are hated, and all of these people to assemble a movement that would change the world. You and I are blessed that we could be a part of that movement, that we get to be in the family of God. That's who he assembles. He broke down barriers. He would hang out with the sinners, the drunks, the prostitutes. And people of that day, the religious leaders would say, this guy has a demon. Why would he be doing that? What was Jesus doing with the Samaritan woman and others? He was breaking barriers. He was raising the women up to a status that are equal with the men. That was unheard of in the first century, by the way. Unheard of. And the the women financed the early ministries of the church, by the way, while the men were out. It was the women that were the business owners and helped finance it. Look at church history. It's there. Jesus broke down every single barrier. And because Jesus has done that, maybe you and I need to do the same thing. That we're not just friends or welcome people that vote like us, act like us, have the same ideology and theology as us. But it's welcoming those that may be a little bit different. They may be blue collar, they may be white collar, they may be no collar. And yet, they have a seat at God's table. That, that is the story and miracle of Christmas, living this full circle life that God has for us. Tonight you may have come and you've never made this commitment to Jesus before. You've been living aimlessly. You've been wandering. And tonight we can pray and ask Christ to come into our hearts and offer our hearts to God. Or perhaps you've been raised in the church, you've committed to Jesus in the past, but there's something that got you off course. You ignored the GPS, you went the other direction. It's not too late. It's not too late to welcome Christ into our lives and redirect our path. As we pray tonight, let's welcome the God of the universe into our hearts and into our very being. And praying that prayer tonight, we want to hear about how we can journey with you in plugging into community. Will you pray with me?